Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Neon, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history behind it. I'm Jem Daducci, and this time round, I'm doing something that I've done once before. I'm actually taking two bits of pop culture. Yes, you get two for the price of one. And I'm going to show you how they are surprising mirrors of each other, but also reveal some very dark stuff about our pasts. So what I'm talking about this time round is The Handmaid's Tale and The Running Man. So, before we get uh, fully into this little thing, and we're about to have a little quiz for you, a little, little game for you to play, it's always worth saying, look, Please, please do continue this conversation. Go to Neon Podcast on Twitter. Say hi. Please follow. Feel free to send out ideas. We're already responding to some of these ideas, actually. We've had some good suggestions, so I do encourage you to get involved. The other thing that you can do is if you go to patreon.com forward slash Neon Podcast, we have a Patreon page now. So this is a chance for you to help support us. And this is your chance to join the Neon Revolution. You've been here for three and a half hours. How many different ways do you want me to tell the same story? Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. I'm impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot? As your leader, I encourage you from time to time, and always in a respectful manner, to question my logic. Now to run a computer check on this tape and the professor. Dodge this. The tracks go off in this direction. Let's play a little game. Let's talk about these two stories. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to start telling you about one of these stories. But you've got to guess which one I'm talking about. So, this story is based on a book. This story is about a dystopian society. This story is about a protagonist who pushes against the injustice in this fascist state. This is a story 
that shows you that that fascist state is very powerful and starts pushing back, putting our protagonist in danger. So, which one am I talking about? If you're having trouble working it out, that's because all of that applies to both of those stories. If I then say, and the protagonist is a woman, I think you now know which one I'm talking about. Let's go into this. And before I sort of jump about these two things, these two stories, I want to make a comment, if you like, about social media as a whole, because I've been talking to a few people on social media and everybody agrees it's definitely got more hysterical and nasty even over the last 12 to 18 months. It seems people feel that to be heard more, I have to be more aggressive or shout louder. Now, flat out abuse is just wrong. Okay. And do you know what? People are entitled to their opinions. And if that you don't agree with their opinions, don't tell them how wrong they are, because that's never going to work. Now, if people start throwing out false facts, you have the right to challenge those with alternative facts, not alternative in the sense of made up stuff. Do your research. And just because, and, and this is the other thing we get a lot in, in social media at the moment, echo chambers. If you don't know what an echo chamber is, that's where you go to places where basically everybody agrees with you. So you can all sit there and say how terrible something is. And everybody goes, yeah, yeah, you're right. Or how brilliant something is. And everybody goes, yeah, yeah, you're right. What you might want to do is actually see what the other side are saying. And you know what? They may have some good opinions. They may have some terrible, odious opinions. And please, there is no point trying to argue with these people. I always like this. I, I had this conversation. This was actually face to face with somebody and they really riled me. And I went back and my sister gave me this advice. Apparently, this is not her. She, she got it from somewhere else. But I think this is brilliant. Trying to get angry with a stupid person. It's like trying to get angry with a pigeon you're playing chess with. Because the pigeon, no matter what's happening, will strut around with their chest puffed out and ultimately crap all over the board and nothing happens. So it's, it's a great, great line. It's like, yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah, a pigeon will always look like it's very pleased with itself, even if you're beating it at chess. And it's the same thing sometimes face-to-face, uh, -face, far more common on the internet. Hey, guys, let's play nice, shall we? So on that point, so let's get away from abuse. Let's get away from opinions. But the other thing that seems to have happened is that if be it we're talking about politics or football or TV or movies or video games, it seems to me that people now are either saying it's five out of five amazing or one out of five garbage. And you know what? That isn't really what life is like. An awful lot of life is, meh, three stars, okay? Now, of course, if you happen to think that a certain movie is the greatest thing ever, fine, good for you. But don't try and convince other people the same, okay? That, that Therein lies the folly, all right? Now, I'm going to give you two examples of really meh films I've seen so far in 2018. And those are Solo, a Star Wars story, and Pacific Rim Uprising. Now, if you want to construct some clever argument to say they're as great as The Godfather, you knock yourself out. But their box office wasn't particularly hot. The critical reviews weren't particularly hot. And you know what? Not even the audience reviews were particularly hot for any of those things. OK, I would say they're fine. They're quite different movies. They're both sci-fi, admittedly. But 
you go in, you switch your brain off, you see two hours of bright colours and exciting bits happening. Some of it's a bit by the numbers. The acting's fine. The acting's not Oscar winning, but it's certainly not abysmal and there's no woodenness going on there. It's all fine. And you walk out with a smile on your face and you've probably forgotten about it two hours later. Okay, fair enough. But when people, particularly with a solo movie, getting very angry with it, go, oh, didn't do this, didn't do that. Oh, I'm still angry about The Last Jedi. Okay, but don't say it's a terrible movie because demonstrably it is well, it's adequately directed, okay? It, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the direction of... And Ron Howard is always a safe pair of hands. And the acting's fine. The special effects are fine. You know, this is all fine, fine, fine. It's not abysmal. You really want to see abysmal? There is a long list on IMDb and in Rotten Tomatoes of truly awful films. And if you compare the two films I mentioned there with the real duds, the real ones where people clearly didn't even put any effort into them, yeah, they're better than that. In that area of fine, I would probably put The Running Man. It's not even... Schwarzenegger's best action film, okay? This 1987 film is fine. It's okay. It's a bit of fun, all right? And the original book, or technically novella it's it's based on, is uh, created by Richard Bachman. And if you don't know who that is, that's the pen name of Stephen King. And it was collated in a, a group of stories, which also included The Shawshank Redemption, um, in 1985, the film came eight, uh, came out in 87. The original Running Man came out as a sort of short story in 82, I think. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so, look, like I say, I'm not going to go through the differences between the books and the movies. We just don't have time. But the point of it is that it's it's a sort of satire of the sort of fascist state and also the state of America. And the film, this is a fact that a lot of people haven't forgotten because Running Man is not exactly at the front of most people's consciousness is set in the year 2019. So depending on where you listen to this podcast, uh, we're, all, we're either about to become to Running Man territory or we've already got to Running Man territory. Hi, welcome to 2019. But the point is this, there is this game show uh, that's different, quite substantially different to the one in the book. But anyway, there's this game show where basically people are condemned criminals, are put on it and they're chased by sort of attackers, marauders with bizarre outfits and sort of fiend-based weaponry, like a guy who's covered in chainmail and carries a flamethrower and somebody else who's got a chainsaw. And they sort of chase the running man, as it were. And if you manage to make it all the way through, you get to, to live and you're sort of pardoned. And it's a basically about uh, um, American obsession with game show and pop culture and things like that. It's quite good satirically in that regard. And considering 1987 doesn't predate all reality TV, it does pick up on this idea that we really want to see reality TV. So, uh, it, you know, although admittedly we're not actually chasing people down and killing them on live studio audiences, it's got a lot of things right in The Running Man. And the, the basic story is that Arnold Schwarzenegger was part of the security forces. He was in a helicopter. He's a pilot. And the helicopter was ordered to open fire on a bunch of poor people who were rioting because they were hungry. And he thought that that was wrong. And he basically is then cutting a long story short put into prison and then put into the running man system. And then Arnie has to try and fight back, as it were. Okay. 
That's the running man. Now we come to the handmaid's tale. And this is where I come back to opinions and sort of five star and one star. And why can't people find sort of like middle ground? This is my thing about it. You know, my my wife and I have very similar tastes in TV shows. You know, we, we both like Altered Carbon, Boardwalk Empire, Breaking Bad, House of Cards. You know, the, the, you know the, all, all the sort of the big ones. I guess we all basically like uh, you know, Game of Thrones, Westworld, etc. You know, we happily sit down. But right now she's got a little glut of, of programs I couldn't care less about, to be honest. Things like Poldark and... The Affair, the last series of The Affair, and also The Handmaid's Tale. Now, the thing about The Handmaid's Tale, I, look, Poldark, that's something that talks about history. Maybe I'll do Poldark at some point, but I can't be bothered this year. I'll be honest with you. I'll do that maybe next year when there's a, a, a series coming out, possibly, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, the wonderful world of Poldark is not going to be any further discussed in this. The Handmaid's Tale uh, is... I sat down and watched two and a half episodes, and now in the background it's still running, and I'm kind of mucking around on my iPad while uh, my wife loves watching it, okay? If you want to ask, let's do a comparison between Running Man and Handmaid's Tale, okay? If you want to say, all right, which one has the best cinematography? Clearly by a country mile, it's The Handmaid's Tale. If you want to talk about which one has the cleverer script, the more in-depth characterization, all of these things go to The Handmaid's Tale. Elizabeth Moss is a fantastic actress, and she does a great job in the central role. Everything that hangs on her, uh, I guess a little bit like with Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, but clearly we know which one is the better actor in that situation. It's Elizabeth Moss, okay, for the record. So yeah, I can absolutely get why people like this, but it just isn't doing it for me. Now, the book was previously turned into a movie. I believe it came out in 1990, and the commander was Robert Duval. So um, it had a big, uh, big name cast. And I, I know it sounds a bit weird, but, you know, I was basically, well, I didn't watch it when it came out into the cinema. I watched it maybe a couple of years later on video. Uh, but I was sort of in my early 20s or late teens, something like that. And I do like a good dystopian story. And this sort of sounded quite good about basically how the society is now in control of your reproduction. That that sounded really good. And i got to admit, when I watched the film, I thought, okay, that was, that was fine. It didn't do much for me. And people do not go back to The Handmaid's Tale, uh, the, the film, and talk about it being amazing and great and whatever. But when the TV series came out, I thought, you know what? Let's give this a go. I kind of know what I'm getting myself into, but let's see if there's a slightly different take. And the first series is... Uh, sort of fairly similar to the book. Second series, well, they've run out of books, so now it's far more making stuff up, but they're obviously being very faithful to the tone, shall we say, of the original Margaret Atwood book. Just a brief aside on Margaret Atwood, because I had to say this, this is a classic example of just because you're an expert in one area does not make you an expert in other areas. And, and, and people get into trouble about this all the time. We've got this great... Uh, let's say, footballer coming on, what's your musical taste? Oh, turns out to be rubbish. Well, yeah, because that's not what they're famous for, as it were. And it's the same thing with politicians or even scientists. Oh, you're a physicist. Can you tell me about this biological process? 
no, I can't because it's not in my area of expertise. Now, Margaret Atwood, you know, blind assassin, The Handmaid's Tale, um, uh, uh, you, know, she, you know, she's written loads of sort of classic books, sort of slightly in the sort of sci-fi genre or shall we say sort of, you know, uh, dystopian type things. You know, she, she likes her, her fiction rather than her non-fiction, okay? And she's a great writer. And this isn't sort of me sort of sort of uh, sour grapes or anything like that. She's clearly a better writer and far more successful than I am and probably ever will be. If I could get half of Margaret Atwood's success on my books, I'd be a very happy man indeed. However, bizarrely, earlier this year, she was interviewed and from out of nowhere, she claimed that Star Wars was a sort of propaganda tool for suicide bombers in um, in, in sort of amongst sort of Islamic fundamentalists. And when the interviewer picked them up on this, uh, her line was, yeah, those they're those two guys in that airplane who attack the building. And that is so vague. There's been a whole sort of Internet conversation about which bit is she talking about in Star Wars? Is it, first of all, the original Star Wars? And if she's talking about those two guys attacking that base in a plane, does she mean the trench run in the... In, uh, with the Death Star, in which case the, the building is actually a weapons base, so that's probably not a bad thing. And also, what part of Star Wars can you easily replicate in real life? Um, and, and actually, the interviewer, because I actually read the whole interview, the interviewer gave her, Margaret Atwood an out, basically saying, are you sure about this, or do you mean that? And she was quite emphatic that, no, Star Wars is basically a propaganda tool for ISIS. So, you know, great writer and everything, uh, and obviously having a huge amount of success with The Handmaid's Tale TV show, but uh, clearly doesn't know much about Star Wars, but that's fine. Doesn't make her a bad person, except when she wants to start talking about it, because she clearly doesn't know what she's talking about in that situation. So anyway, as I've said, the Handmaid's Tale wins hands down in all areas, except bizarrely one. Because what The Handmaid's Tale gets wrong, and I find this very frustrating, is the actual utopia that she's constructed doesn't make a lot of sense and has no echoes in history, whereas something like The Running Man does. I know, insane. <laughs> I know that's a bit weird. And look, I also get, you know, I, I've had a conversation with my wife about this. I went, look, what is it? What am I missing about this that makes it so good? And my wife find it very hard to sort of uh, articulate it, but I get a feeling it's this. Female roles in TV and movies are quite limited. You're either playing the mum or the love interest or the assassin who can do a roundhouse kick in high heels. Yet there aren't a lot of different options for women. There are far fewer meaty roles for women than there are for men. That's not fair, okay? But therefore, having The Handmaid's Tale, where you couldn't have a man in the central character, that really what this is about is a kind of fascism of the of the woman's reproductive system. You know, that's got to talk to a woman fundamentally. And it's also something that's sort of uniquely female. And it's sort of, it, therefore I get that, oh, this is well-produced, big budget, and it's about women and sort of threats to women. 
you know, that's got to surely scratch a sort of a sweet spot on the female psyche when they're watching it. Conjecture again, go on Twitter, Neon Podcast, and sort of say, you're right, Gem, or you're wrong, Gem, and this is why, okay? Always happy to take feedback as long as it isn't abuse, okay? Um, so yeah, I, I do absolutely get that. But the thing that makes no sense about it is, okay, fine. It, the, the basic setup is reproduction isn't happening as often as it used to. So if you're a woman who is able to, to bear children, then you are now uh, a highly sought after uh, commodity, basically. And what happens is that these women, the handmaidens of the, of the actual story, are brought into the basically the ruling class. And so what's happening there is the man is living with their wife, who is barren, unable to produce children, and the handmaiden completely interacting with the other two. I won't go into details. I want to keep my clean rating. Um, uh, completely interacting with the other two. Um, it becomes basically a surrogate for their children. And what Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. What happens is that the, obviously, the, the male, um, the, the man, reproduces with the handmaiden and but as she's sort of gestating the wife is with her when she's giving birth the wife is with her and there's even a ritual that while the real woman is giving birth the the barren wife is also sort of mimicking the birthing thing um and it, you know I, I get that i mean that's wonderfully creepy and weird uh, but it's also quite potent because this woman is is almost like a a cuckoo a kind of uh, you know a, a changeling almost sort of there she's got nothing to do with it in any biological sense but she's there because she's going to eventually become the mother and when this baby is born the mother is pretty the mother is pretty much immediately removed from the picture in the sense of the baby is given to this the wife the barren wife 
but the mother hangs around to do the breastfeeding and sort of like the the necessary bits right at the beginning but then once the child is weaned the handmaiden is removed and then basically put back into the system to reproduce again okay you got that as an overall thing it's i mean it's creepy it's one a wonderful setup but the more you think about it the less sense it makes and actually, the what they tried to do is explain how this all came about. And this is where we absolutely do get into some history, because they, abs- they completely fumble the ball. You've basically got Elizabeth Moss. You get flashbacks to what life was like before all this happened. And she seems to be constantly confused and surprised that suddenly, I mean, she's in a coffee shop and her cards declined. And later on, she finds out that women have suddenly been not allowed to have bank accounts. Only the men can have bank accounts and women can't have jobs anymore. And basically, women become scullery maids it's I mean, it's a little unclear w- women sort of just become sort of things workers basically if they can't breed but if they can breed they're suddenly put into this handmaiden association really really where you have no choice i you know i've mentioned them a few times but this is i guess a bit like the ottoman harem once you're in the harem you don't have a choice to be celibate or something like that you're the purpose of you being there is you are going to maybe if you're lucky end up having a child with the sultan but with the handmaidens their the whole purpose of them is now reproduction if you like who they are as a woman is taken away from them but what they are as a woman is now the only thing that matters Again, I get that if that's sort of hitting a real sweet spot in in a, in a woman in terms of, you know, this is the ultimate violation. And you know what? I'm going to say The Handmaid's Tale has also been inadvertently really lucky because it sort of hits some of the zeitgeists that are happening. So last year when season one came out, it, it basically started to catch people's attention at about the same time the Me Too uh, um, organization was building up a full head of, sp- of steam and so like women aren't just things and yet women are things in the handmaid's tale which is clearly wrong so that was a you know a, a great bit of inadvertent cross-pollination of ideas going on in 2017 then in 2018 this whole idea of having the children taken away from you is happening about the same time as there's been this huge controversy about families being separated from their children on the Mexican border in America. And seeing this as an American production made in America, distributed in America via Hulu, it's on Channel 4 in, in Britain, um, and then it's sort of like re-screened on Sky, it gets complicated. But anyway, but the point is, so there, there are there are these echoes, I, I guess a little bit like Running Man, that, that, you know, oh yeah, I can see that happening in our society right now. Interesting. And, you know, the very best dystopias and sci-fi is holding up an ugly mirror to our society today and that's the really important thing about them and I get all that however now I'd like to go into some real history here and compare Handmaid's Tale to what's actually happened so the thing is and I'm sorry I'm going to go really dark here let's go for a moment to the Nazis all right with particularly with the SS and their obsession with Aryan purity, the the purity of the Aryan race and how it's been tainted by bloods of non-Aryan people. All of this is not only debunked, but also can lead potentially to inbreeding. It is a terrible, horrific ideology. I'm not in any way condoning it, okay? I want to be quite clear about that, but I want to talk about 
If, if you believe that, this is what happens next, okay? So what they did, what the SS did as they went round Europe is, you know, this wasn't just a German thing, but you know, they, they ran Norway, for example, and clearly the Norwegians are quite Aryan, they're quite blonde and blue-eyed. So what they did was they actually managed to grab uh, women and kidnap them and put them into, in essence, hospitals where they were forced to basically breed with Aryan pure SS officers and high-ranking members of the Nazis. And these women had children, and they were called Lebensborn. This is something that's also in, I mean, this it's interesting, this idea of procreation and reproduction being captured by society pops up in loads of dystopias. The other one uh, is uh, um, the City of Men. City of Men? I'm pretty sure it's called that. Which is um, uh, about how everybody stopped breeding. So there's there's no next generation. So how does society cope with that? The answer is it, it starts shutting down because what's the point? Uh, you know, There's no point hanging around for my pension because there's nobody going to be younger than me who's going to be able to look after me in my dotage, as it were. That's worth remembering, by the way, when I come back to The Handmaid's Tale. Um, so so yes, yeah, so, so there's there's that one, but also it's a key point in Man in the High Castle. I'm definitely going to do a podcast on that at some point, just don't have time this time around, okay? But Lebensborn is a real thing, and I want to point out that uh, obviously these children are now in their 70s, and some of them didn't know till they were much later in life. Now, they had nothing to do with how they were born. They're basically part of a Nazi breeding program, but that doesn't in any way make them a Nazi. In fact, perhaps the most famous Lebensborn person, and I apologize, I've, I've forgotten her name, but it's the brunette, Agnita, I think, from ABBA. She found out that she was Lebensborn um, and was obviously appalled by it. But the thing about that is, I mean, look, that's horrible and terrible, but there's a little part of me thinking, but you know what? In many ways, the inclusiveness of ABBA, how popular ABBA is with the gay community, how fun it is. It's about entertaining you and not doing lots of heavy, deep stuff, okay? You put on ABBA, you dance, you have a good time. And if, <laughs> preferably in satin flares or something like that. And if that isn't the opposite of the Nazis, I don't know what is. So that is a wonderful retort, a sort of a harmless, carefree, smiling, kind retort to the snarling evil that was the Nazis. So there you go, little, little fact there. But there are people, many of the Lebensborn have had to go through counselling because that is about the most tragic thing you could ever hear about your parents, because your mother was basically an enslaved woman and your father was somebody terrible in the Nazis. What does that say about you? And you can imagine how that would affect your psyche, obviously, as well. So horrible, terrible. And these one of the reasons why these women were put together was because they were a valuable commodity. And the, one of the reasons why the harem they were kept together is because they wanted to keep things sort of pure and all part of the Ottoman bloodline. So these are two real examples of, if you like, breeding programs that have existed in the real world. But what do they do in The Handmaid's Tale? These women are allowed to wander the streets. They, they're they sort of under house arrest, and they're certainly heavily uh, supervised, and uh, I'm sure there's an awful lot of surveillance on them. But 
in history, what history has taught us is why risk that? Why walk down the street with a gold bar in your hands, hoping you don't get robbed? It is much more straightforward to keep these women in some kind of enclosed compound, like a military camp or a secure hospital or something like that, because the purpose of these women now isn't to have lives and pretend everything's hunky-dory. They are there to breed. Nothing more, nothing less. And I would argue Handmaid's Tale would be far more chilling if she's got to break out of some kind of breeding prison uh, rather than, than, you know, what she's actually having to do. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The other thing, of course, is if women have been downgraded so much, what's the point of the wife at this point? If she can't breed... Um, and, you know, she's constantly agitated by this woman and feels under threat by this woman who can breed, can produce children. That destroys the husband-wife balance, as it were. It, it, you know, it, it's all very well saying, well, they're basically all adopted mothers. Yeah, but not every woman wants to be that. And not every man will accept that. It's almost like the, the, the mother is now redundant or the wife is now redundant. Get the handmaid in to forcibly marry the guy. After all, she's forced to sleep with him. So just take the next step, as it were. So it, it makes no real sense in terms of if they're a valuable commodity, why are they allowed to roam the streets? And of course, they're, you know, part of the tw twists and turns of all this is some of these women have affairs, but obviously you do not want that to happen. You want to keep the bloodlines clean, as it were. I'm using that in inverted commas. And there are very simple pre-industrial ways to do that, as the Ottoman Empire has proven. So why this slightly, slightly futuristic, you know, it's, I guess it's America in five years time. It's not like everybody's got flying cars or anything like that. The other thing that also I have a real bug with, as I've mentioned earlier, is Elizabeth Moss is shown in flashback being confused about the fact, why, why can't I, why is my card being declined? Where's the woman who used to work in the coffee shop? And, and, and so on and so forth. And there's this sort of rising revolution and basically these armed men, these unannounced, nobody's got a clue who these people are. Nobody knew that this was coming, but these armed men turned up at the, well, I think it's a publishing house she's working in, and basically the sort of sweaty, nervous MD turns around to them and says, I'm terribly sorry, I'm going to have to let all you women go. You have 10 minutes to clear your desks. Why? Why? I can't, you know, it's the law now. It's the law now. That is not how a fascist takeover works, okay? If you look at all the totalitarian takeovers that have ever happened, you either have an out-and-out -out revolution, like the Russian Revolution, for example. I appreciate they're technically not fascist, but certainly they're totalitarian, okay? Um, so you know that the society's changing because there's a war going on, or if you're looking at something like the Nazis being the classic example, the way you get your power is not suddenly surprising turning up with a bunch of armed men and hoping the laws will change. Do you know what? The Hitler tried that with the whole, you know, the Munich beer hall thing. Beer hall thing didn't work. People aren't going to turn up for it. The critical way, I guess I'm showing you the handbook on how to create your own fascist dictatorship here. What you do is you talk about a problem. It's either a real problem or an imagined problem. And you pe feed people's fear. The bigger the problem, the more you're willing to take a drastic solution. And yes, I am aware, going back to hysteria on this on the internet right now, I'm aware that there are a lot of people who are sort of framing pretty much all political decisions as life or death, or this is the end of our democracy, or this is only going to strengthen our democracy. Most legislation isn't that exciting. Okay, let's not get too carried away about it. But yeah, there are occasions where it happens big. 
And in the case of Hitler, and I, I go into this in my book, so a quick plug here, my, my first historical novel's called Silent Crossroads. It's about a British soldier who fights in both world wars, but changes sides. And the critical part of that is in the interwar years, he's an Englishman living in Germany, and he gets to see the rise of the Nazis as of, from an outsider's point of view. And it points out, not Germans are all evil, because things aren't that simple. But it shows you how desperate the German people were, and therefore how pervasive and and sort of sultry and suggestive uh, the you know Hitler's ideas were. Basically, Hitler did not come to power saying, "I'm going to annihilate all the Jews." That was in Mein Kampf, but he dropped that when he was trying to get elected, turned into Chancellor. What he was saying is, Germany's had huge amounts of problems. I'm the man to fix them. You give me a few years. I will, you know, give me total power for a few years, I will fix the problems. And seeing Germany had lurched through two different, there was the hyperinflation, and then there was the stock market crash of 1929. So they barely recovered from one crisis to fall into a second financial crisis that once again wiped out everybody's savings. To turn around and say, I'm going to fix all this, I'm the man of the moment, I'm the man of the hour, that sounds quite tempting. Wouldn't you agree? And that's basically how all these sort of odious people have come to power. There's this problem. I can fix it. There's the throwaway line, which isn't actually true. Well, at least Mussolini got the trains running on time. Sort of showing that, you know, he he was at least well organized. He wasn't. The train timetables didn't actually change significantly. I have actually looked into this. Didn't change significantly under Mussolini's fascists. Um, but anyway, that's another story. But it does show you that there's, there's no way this coup could have happened without her knowing. She should have seen this all coming. The whole of society should have seen all this coming. It, it, but the, the, and I understand from a dramatic point of view, it looks far more dramatic, but it makes no sense from the point of view of history. And the other thing that's worth pointing out is if there are only a few women who can breed, what's in it for all these armed men who are propping up the regime? What's in it for them? They're not going to have children. If we're back to sort of the, the ch uh, children of men thing, not city of men, it was children of men. I apologize. Children of men uh, film set in a dystopian London. Um, and yeah, because what are they in it for? What earn money so that they can go home and, and do what exactly? Do they have wives or no wives? They're certainly not going to have children because all the women who are breeding can only breed with the elite class in uh, Handmaid's Tale. And finally, on that point, if there are a small, tiny amount of women who can do it and they're all breeding the kids, what these kids are shown to be is these are the next generation of the elite. That's not what's going to happen because all the other adults are going to die out. There aren't. So basically, the whole society will collapse. The elites will have to do the day jobs because nobody is farming. Nobody is cooking or cleaning or being the security forces anymore. What will happen is basically America's population of, I don't know, it's about 350 million. I think it could be around as high as 400 million now. Let's say it collapses down to 4 million. So now you've got huge amounts of space. You just don't, you can't farm. Not every, there aren't enough farmers. There aren't enough people to live in cities. You mean, that's the less than the, po less population than the urban area of Los Angeles, for example. So you'll only need one city in America. Everything else can become forest or farmland, basically. So no, it doesn't make any sense when you start looking at it. And I would argue in a weird, perverse way, The Running Man does make more sense. We've already got nasty game shows. We've already got, um, as I've pointed out with Love Island, this sort of pointing at the sort of 
less fortunate and the real cynical reality TV. The only thing missing is, uh, you know, we've had fights. We've had unedited fights on TV. The only thing we haven't had is actual manhunts on TV, um, you know, where people could potentially die. But that is less of a step forward than what they're asking you to swallow on something like The Handmaid's Tale. And admittedly, for two hours, Arnie does show you quite the fun ride. And he does have the the cool one-liners in Running Man as well. He's also one of the few people who can look good in spandex. Uh, whereas Handmaid's Tale, Elizabeth Moss, they're deliberately in this kind of nun-like outfit, which which marks them out from the crowd. Everybody knows who they are. So that means, oh, look over there. The rare source is there. Why not sort of drive up in a van, grab one so that maybe the resistance can start breeding? You know, it just, it makes no sense when you start looking at it. But that doesn't stop it being a great drama. It doesn't stop it saying things about how women are seen in society. I do get that. But yeah, as a whole, surprising amount of similarities between The Running Man and The Handmaid's Tale. So that, if you like, is is Neon's take on, on all this. Please, please do continue the conversation. I'm, by the way, I'm Jem Daduchu on Twitter, but you can just go straight to Neon Podcast on Twitter. Again, don't forget patreon.com forward slash Neon Podcast if you would like to actually be part of the Neon Revolution. Much appreciated if you are. And if you can't do that, if you don't have the money, uh, one thing you could do is please, please do leave a review online for us on whatever app you're li- listening to this to. It all helps spread the Neon world. Word. Thank you very much for your time. You'll hear from me soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.